Bigfoot Society would like to thank the following sponsors for helping make the podcast possible. The Singular Fortean Society has combined open and honest paranormal investigation and journalism since 2016. Visit the Society at Singular Fortean for all the latest weird news and more. Come with us and investigate the impossible. Lauren Smith is the hostess for Nightcaller's Bigfoot Radio, which has been on air for over a decade and has completed over 300 shows. Lauren brings with her a unique viewpoint given that she is not only the daughter of one of the veteran female Bigfoot researchers in the South, but she has been conducting field research since she was a preteen some 20 years ago. Nightcaller's is a Bigfoot world favorite and along with interviewing researchers and witnesses often features interviews with guests from the documentary film and entertainment industry. Lauren also does a vidcast segment called Nightcallers, which features real encounters sent in by viewers. You can find all of this and more at nightcallersproductions.com. Thanks for coming back to the Bigfoot Society podcast. We have a special bonus episode tonight where I was able to have... Uh, my friend Daniel Perez from the Bigfoot Times come on for a special phone interview slash clubhouse room. Uh, so a lot of people were listening live on the interview, which was cool. But uh, he's going to talk about his recent trip out to the film site and uh, what special experiment, uh, what uh, what they're doing out there and what they're trying to figure out. So you're going to enjoy this uh info uh recent info from the film site from daniel perez and also we talk about the new documentary just posted today on uh, the sasquatch archives and how that ties into the bigfoot times and why it's a really big deal so all in all a fun interview always a pleasure and a privilege to talk to my friend daniel perez from the bigfoot times but enjoy and uh thanks for hanging out Okay, Jeremiah, you're on with Daniel. All right. Hey, Daniel, are you there? I'm here. Can you hear me loud and clear? Perfect. Yep, um, I can hear you. Uh, Tate, is there any way you might be able to turn your phone up a little bit? Uh, maybe. If, uh, if just... not, that's anything you can do. This should be better. Okay. All right, Daniel, I'll have you say something else real quick. Hello, can you hear me? Perfect. All right. Well, thank you for your patience, all. We're going to go ahead and start the interview with Mr. Daniel Perez from the Bigfoot Times. Uh, Daniel, we are uh, currently uh, broadcasting live through an app called Clubhouse. We've got a few friends with us uh, tonight, and uh, we'll be uh, hopefully getting some audience questions at the end. But let's uh, let's chat for a few minutes first. So, uh, tell me. So I had you on earlier, about a week or so ago, and we talked about all sorts of cool stuff to do with uh, the Patterson-Gimlin film. And then you sent me a message and said, hey, I'm actually going back to the film site and I'd love to talk to you about it. And I, I said, hey, that sounds like a great idea. Let's make it happen. So tell me all about what brought you back to the film site. More testing and experimentation. Okay. Not know... We do not know all the answers yet about the film and the circumstances that surround it. Well, I mean, you so you've done this. You've been in this game for about 40 years. So what, what could possibly uh, be left to, to test and what data is there left to get? 
Well, the thing is, when you're only on the film site maybe a couple of days per year, uh, based on weather conditions and so forth and having to work, uh, it's not like it's a year-round activity. I mean, you have to go home and do your homework and then go out and test things. And so on this trip, a few of us, uh, myself, uh, namely these people, Rowdy Kelly, myself, mm-hmm. and Robert Leiterman, uh, were we did a couple of things. We did some tree trimming. And according to my forest knowledge, you can trim trees on a national forest, but you can't cut them down. Sure. So we kept it up motto so trimming trees opens up the view and essentially what we are trying to do over the course of many years is to try to recreate frame 352 but a notation there it's actually not frame 352 according to bill munz's verified film count i believe it actually is frame 354 but that's neither here nor there What Rowdy Kelly did, which was just absolutely brilliant, because there's trees in the background that are seen in frame 352 on the left and on the right. He put very bright lights. And mind you, the background trees to the creek is roughly 200 feet, if I'm not mistaken, but it's a, it's a good, considerable distance. You could think of it as Roger Patterson and Bob Gimlin being uh, on the by the creek, the subject being in the middle, and the trees that you see in the very background being the very background. That entire distance is, I think, actually we pulled a measurement, but don't quote me, I think it's 263 feet the okay. entire length. So it's, a, it's very long but what we did is uh i brought a laser with me okay uh heavy heavy duty laser and we thought maybe we could uh, make that work but uh even though that area is very much overcast even in broad daylight because of all the trees uh the red light just kind of fades out so rowdy's idea was to put these uh I guess, work lights, a portable work lights attached to the trees in the background. And we could see those very good. So those became our, uh, our flag post from right. All right. You could all actually look at it like goalposts from left to right. And so then we could see that this is the edge of frame and this is the edge of frame from left to right. That's cool. That's really, that's really cool. Um, so Rowdy Kelly, Robert Leiterman, for people that may not be aware, they are uh, both members of the Bluff Creek Project. Uh, I'll be, I've got an, in, setting up an interview with uh, Robert Leiterman uh, right now for uh, sometime in the next few weeks on the podcast. So uh, that's really cool. He was, uh, he was one of the gentlemen that w- was able to go with you as well. Um, how long has it been since you've been at the film site, Daniel? Uh, the last time I was there was, uh, October of 2018. Okay. And in 2019, uh, it just, I I had work obligations that did not allow me to get away. And in 2020, it was the pandemic, the height of the pandemic, if you will. Mm. And so I just kind of, uh, 
didn't do a whole lot. And then October 2021, this month, uh, I made a decision, let's go back and see if we could do some work back there. That's awesome. That's awesome. So the, the main was the main goal of the uh, the trip this time then to kind of clear out the the uh, trees a little bit. No, that's kind of like making your bed. Okay, uh, it's something you have to do every every day ah. because it gets unmade. And so because you have such tremendous annual rainfall in that area, everything grows like a weed. Makes sense. So yeah. you got to you've got to scale it back every time you're there, almost like mowing a lawn yep, sure. just to kind of keep up with it. And so that was just uh, standard uh, maintenance work that to trim things back. And when you trim things back, your view is much better. And so that's what we did. But our purpose, our experimentation was to take my Kodak K100 camera the same exact type model that Roger Patterson used on that historic occasion. Okay. And to experiment with three lenses, we had the 25 oh, wow. millimeter lens, the 20 millimeter lens, and the 15 millimeter lens. And we wanted to see which lens would be the best fit. And we actually used uh, Kodak film. You could still get 16 millimeter Kodak film. We put a roll of 16 millimeter Kodak film and experimented with a test subject who is a reporter, a writer. I guess he works at a college in Boston, Massachusetts. His name is John O'Connor and he's six feet tall and he was our test subject. And we had him walk in the pathway, the, what you would call the rough general vicinity of the best frames of the film. Sure. 352 and and going forward and going backwards and so we had sequences to uh we filmed sequences with the 25 the 20 and the 15 so right now we don't have the answer because it's not digital you have to wait till the film is processed okay yeah yeah and then then we're gonna see like uh then we're going to see which one is the best fit because looking back when I wrote my little booklet, Bigfoot at Bluff Creek, I was in discussion. I was on the phone with Renee DeHinden constantly. And he told me that the camera was equipped with a 25 millimeter lens. Okay. I never bothered. I never bothered to ask how did you know that? But presumably, he went to Shepard's Camera Shop in Yakima, Washington, to find this information out. Because oh, when he wow. started researching the camera, and when he started researching the film site, by then Roger was already long gone, so you couldn't ask him questions. Sure, that's that's fantastic. The the detective work that Renee did there. Uh, I'm I'm gonna get well first. Let's let's do a little. Uh, a little important info for anyone listening to this. Uh, who is this Daniel Perez guy? If you haven't heard the previous interview I've done with him, you need to do that as well. But uh, Daniel, you are the uh, author, owner, uh, news journalist of the Bigfoot Times, which is the longest running uh, Bigfoot actual physical newsletter you can get in your mailbox every uh, month, which is uh, fantastic. I'm a subscriber myself, and I have to say, 
it's it's the best uh thing you can get as a big footer in the year i'm yeah i mean the stuff in there is stuff you're not going to read anywhere else but i'm going to guess i'm going to guess daniel that the photos you get from this are going to make their way into the bigfoot times am i right a hundred percent a hundred percent yeah yeah and so again that is the essence because I publish the newsletter, I'm the editor. Mm-hmm. It's just like you can't just jump on the Bigfoot forums. You can't jump on a Facebook group or on a uh, any other a web Bigfoot website and say like, "Well, we can get that information here." It just it comes out in the newsletter. And so, for anyone wanting to get the newsletter, just go to BigfootTimes.net and you could get a very affordable membership. $18.50 a year. So literally like two Starbucks and you've got stuff coming to your mailbox uh, 12 times a year, which is fantastic. What is the main thing that so from this experiment, Daniel, what is the, the main thing that you're, you're wanting to prove? Let's make it really high level for the listeners. Uh, well, that's a very good question. And the answer is there's been a very big debate as to how tall the subject, which is affectionately known as Patty, how tall the subject is in the movie film. Mm. There's a photographic formula that you could use. Uh, you know, the, the, the focal length of the camera, the distance to the subject, and... According to that information, you could determine the size of the subject you're filming. And so this is the essence of the whole thing. But let me stop there and just point out uh, other methods early on that determine the size of the subject. But based on the Bigfoot community, many researchers and investigators, they dispute that claim. Okay. So early on, in August of 1972, Peter Byrne with Rene DeHinden uh, were on the film site, and he took some black and white photos, and he used Al Hodgson's son, the late Al Hodgson from Willow Creek. His son is named Mike Hodgson, who I believe was six feet tall, and they put him exactly in the spot, I think in frame 352, and took a picture of him. And they basically superimposed him over Patty. So he's basically standing in the same spot. And so 72 is what? Four, four, let's see, three, four, five years after the fact. But everything is still pretty much the same. And it was the determination at that time that the subject was like right around seven feet, two inches. So later when Peter Byrne got some funding, for his Bigfoot research project, and this is the mid-1990s and kind of later 1990s, uh, he employed a forensic scientist by the name of Jeff, Jeff Blickman, who was running an organization, NASI. I forget what the acronym means, but they did a, what you would call a forensic examination of the film footage And again, they basically employed the same methodology and they were able to determine once again that the subject in the film is roughly seven foot three inches plus or minus one inch. So that was another 
method of determining the height. But let me stop you there. It's almost like one of those infomercials when I say, <laughs> but wait, there's more. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. there really is more. So if we go back to 1971, the summer of 1971, the late Rene de Hinden from Canada was on the film site. And he collected a piece of wood. And I, I often told him, you mean a branch? And he says, no, a mm-hmm. piece of wood. Basically, I guess, debris from logging or whatever. It's, it's not a tree branch. It's a piece of wood that was 20, roughly 26 inches in length. And so he collected it because he took a copy of the movie with him. And he had... Uh, he had the copy of the movie in the reel with a nail uh, nailed into a story pole, if you will, like a, sure. you think, like a pole wall, but wooden. And as he was going, looking through it and actually looking at the film site, he realized there was debris on forest floor where Patty had walked. Mm. And it looked, it, and it, it clearly showed that Patty was in the immediate vicinity of this piece of wood. Okay. Because when you, study the, when you study the film, it either walks on it or steps right next to it. And uh, he said, oh, that's neat. Maybe I could do something with it in terms of maybe we could use it as a scale to measure Patty. So he took it home, but mostly, as he told me, he took it home as a souvenir. So later... Chris Murphy, who's still living in uh, British Columbia, mm-hmm. kind of uh, became aware of this information as he associated with Rene de Hinden. Long story short, he kind of used it as his his measuring gauge to measure Patty because Patty was in either stepped on it or right next to it. Therefore, you can do a one to one ratio in terms of using that piece of wood to measure the unknown subject. Wow! And again. That subject comes out to be about seven foot three inches tall. So I, I, all I can say is, when you come back with these numeric numeric values, you said, "Oh, that's awfully interesting that you're you're hitting the mark every time." And I might add that Roger Patterson's initial estimate of the size of the subject was about seven feet four inches tall. That's so ex- that's from the documentary. Yeah, he did say that. A hundred percent. Yeah. And so he, he, it, it certainly appeared that he seemed to be a pretty good gauge of uh, being able to uh, determine height at a distance. And uh, curiously, Bob Gimlin did not say it was that tall. He thought it was quite a bit smaller. But you have to remember that Bob was on a horse at the time during probably his best observation. Yeah. So maybe he was looking down at the subject. And so the higher you are, you tend to see things as smaller than you. Yeah, no, it, it, that's that's exactly right. That's good logic there. Um, before we continue, so uh, people in the audience live on Clubhouse, um, eventually we will get to a Q&A, Q&A section. If you have a question for Daniel, could you do me a favor and just type that in a message to me on Clubhouse by using the little airplane icon, uh, just so that I can see what kind of questions we have. And then I'll, uh, 
uh, we'll bring up people one by one uh, to do uh, questions eventually. But just a heads up on that. Um, Daniel, the going back to the film site, did you notice anything different about it that had changed over the last few years? Or is it pretty much the same type of uh, spot? Uh very much the same spot. Mm. And one thing that uh, there was a report, like I said, there was a guy doing a writing a book, has a contract to write a book on Bigfoot, and he came down to see us from Boston, Massachusetts. Okay. And he said, uh, oh, what I pointed out to him, I said, the first time I was on the film site unknowingly was in 2003. Prior to that, I had walked by the film site without being able to identify it. So I've been in the immediate general vicinity. But the most deceptive thing about the film site is how large it is. You could fit a football field in that film site. It's that big. Really? And, but when, yes. And when you see, when, when, you, when, when you're not physically there and you're watching or looking at a book at frame 352 or watching the movie on YouTube or yeah. on a television special on Bigfoot, you're just seeing a flat screen. So you don't really get the appreciation of how big that area is. It's a very big area. And even when I, so even when I was there uh, just days ago, uh, the grandeur of it in the sense of how big the film site is, it's overwhelming. And it's something that most people do not fully appreciate or understand. Mm. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely on the bucket list. Uh, hopefully, Someday I can make it work to uh, to get there for myself. Uh, uh, someday that will happen. But uh, it just it sounds like a very very cool place. It's harder to get to than most people realize, though. Correct? Uh, I mean, if you live in California, it's not too bad. Okay. I'm in the Los Angeles area, so it's it's more than an 800 mile drive for me. Just oh wow! Way. Mm. But it's no big deal because. How can I say this? Uh, you want to find enjoyment in your life. Mm -hmm. Most of us have jobs, and somehow before you go to your death, you're going to spend your money. And so some people spend their money playing golf because yep. that is enjoyable to them. And so I just happen to spend my money doing this because it's enjoyable to me. That's awesome. Yeah, and the the yeah, you can't take it with you, so you may as well you may as well spend it on what you enjoy and figure out what you enjoy. So yeah, good words exactly. there. Yep. Yep. Well, Very good. I, I will tell you this, that because it's in the six, the, the film site is in the six rivers, national forest sure. in Del Norte County, uh, is that if a Bigfoot were found tomorrow, you would have people lined up blocks long mm wanting to go see that film site. They said, oh my God, it is real. It's not just a man in a suit. I got to go see where that famous movie was made. Oh yeah. And it's just like, I guarantee you, they're, 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 the park service would have to do something to discourage people from going to see it. Because when I was in London in 2012 for the uh, Olympic Games, uh, I went over with a friend the late Paul Vela, I'm not sure if everyone is familiar with him, but we went over to see Stonehenge and he told me as a boy, 
you could uh, walk right up to Stonehenge and physically touch it, wow. but not far. So when I was there in 2012, you could only get a certain distance to it, and you, there's no longer hands-on. And so that may be the case with the PG film site if it becomes uh, overwhelmed with traffic. Yeah, and you know it. That's a that's a catch twenty two situation because it's like everyone wants to, you know for Bigfoot to be like accepted by the world and the scientific community. But on the other hand, you know how terrible would it be if like you know the film site becomes overrun with all the people and it's like those pictures you see on Instagram of people going to national parks and having to wait like hours in line just to hike up to this spot and take a picture for Instagram. I mean. That would be terrible if that kind of thing ever happened, but yeah. Yeah, that that would be the the forest uh, forest rangers' uh, responsibility to totally. implement the plan if if things ever did get out of control. Oh yeah, oh uh, yeah. But one thing that I have noted from uh, because that area gets so much rainfall that I did take note of this time is that the stumps that are seen in the film, in okay. the movie film, that when we were there on our big study in the summer of 2012, that they have uh, since deteriorated even more. So they're, the stumps are in very poor condition, but they're still hanging on. They're still there. Mm, wow. If they, if they eventually go away, we'll probably have to put some sort of marker there that this was a stump that is seen in the film. Yeah, yeah, that would be cool. Um, and uh, did you, were you able to look at the uh, the new book that the Bluff Creek Project has coming out soon? Yes, I have right here. In oh, my nice. Hand. Uh, this this is authored by Robert Leiterman, a retired uh, forest ranger. It's called the Bluff Creek Project, and this copy this is an advanced copy. It's called plastered all over. It says not for resale. <laughs> it's an excellent book, and it goes on sale at the end of the month, and it's over, if I'm not mistaken, over 600 pages. It's massive. And it's filled with documentation, yeah. photos, maps, and everything, and I'm just happy to have been contri a contributor to it. In oh, fact, totally. uh, I, let's see, was it, I did the profess, let's see, just... One second. The foreword to the book is written by me. Nice. That's awesome. Very cool. Yeah, Very so cool. One I, would recommend, I would recommend everyone that when this becomes available to probably get your hands on it because it's it's mm. a very valuable reference about the Patterson Gim Gimlin film site. Oh, for Not sure. the sensational stuff, but the real, uh, the nitty gritty. Yeah, it's definitely uh, going to be one uh, for the the serious researcher that they wanna they'll want to put on their bookshelves for sure. I have a question for you about the last um, issue, uh, the October cur actually current issue, October issue of Bigfoot Times. Um, so the there are a few articles in there, of course, but the article that really piqued my interest was uh, your Bob Titmus article, which is very cool. And there's a, a portion in that article where you talk about uh, a newspaper article that you found in your belongings, in your collection, rather, you could say, from 1972, where a gentleman, a journalist, interviews Bob Titmus and pretty much 
there's information about that there wasn't just the one film, but there were multiple films that he saw that Patterson had filmed or that were filmed at the film site. And that is very cool because it actually ties in with something that was released today on Sasquatch Archives, which most people will know this, but it's a very uh, amazing YouTube channel where it's all historical archive footage and documentaries. Uh, but there was a BBC documentary put on this channel today, uh, Bigfoot America's Abominable Snowman, which is from 1968, and it's only been seen one time, I believe. It's very rare, so to see this. But in that particular documentary, um, it ties into that article in the Bigfoot Times because you can actually see, like, there's new footage from the Patterson-Gimlin film in that documentary, right, Daniel? Uh, yes, there is. And in fact... It's wild. My, my understanding, uh, or what's been clarified to me, is there was two versions of it. One that the BBC did, I guess, okay. in 1968, and one that both Roger Patterson and his brother-in-law, Al Ratley, did, I guess, after the fact, I guess, in 1969. And it was pointed out to me by Willow Creek Bigfooter Stephen Scrufford that they're, they, they seem to be... There's quite a bit of difference between the two. I've seen one that was uh, presented at Mike Ruggs Bigfoot Conference in Felton, California, many years ago, and I think that was the BBC version. Okay. Uh, watching the the documentary for myself today, um, it's just it's cool to see that footage where they're filming the actual uh, trackway. And the uh, the casting of the tracks is very cool. So definitely definitely check that out. Um, and uh, if you can get your hands on the October issue of the Bigfoot Times, uh, that is worth reading that article as well. Well, some of the things that were brought out in my article on Bob Titmus, which was from the Tacoma News Tribune from mm -hmm, 1972, mm -hmm. which I was actually... Uh, on the Labor Day weekend looking for some information that Cliff Barackman wanted. And so as I was digging through, I went a little further or farther and uh, lo and behold, I find this article about Bob Titmus and I thought it had something to do with some phony tracks, some other tracks from, I guess, Eatonville, Washington. But then as I read a little more, uh, he had a, a, a discussion about the PG film and he said that after he saw the film in British Columbia, in Vancouver, British Columbia, and met with Roger and Bob, that he made a decision to fly down. Uh, prior to that, I just assumed that he drove down. But when you start to think about it, it's just like, well, if he drove, he would have had, because you're going from Canada through Washington. It would have been Washington, too late. Oregon. Yep. And then uh, that would have been a, a heck of a drive. Oh, yeah. And that uh, he explained to the reporter that he flew. So he flew down to California, then obviously got a rental car, and then drove up there to do what he needed to do. And he found the place, and he made Plaster of Paris castings. Mm -hmm. So here you have the late, great Bob Titmus uh, coming down, and he was a man of modest means, 
but I guess he realized the gravity of the moment. And with his own funds, there was no social media to get a GoFundMe account. Back exactly. Then. Yep. He, he jumped on a plane to come down and then he got a rental car, more expense. And then the plaster of Paris, more expense. And then he spent some days there on the film site, uh, looking around and making the plaster of Paris castings. And then before he died, he donated those original castings to the Willow Creek Bigfoot Museum. So here was an individual that it was not about him. It was about the subject matter because he was, he was always giving in the sense that he was uh, adding to the evidence of Bigfoot's existence and adding to the veracity of the PG film by doing what he did. So, uh, yeah, he, he kind of etched his name into Bigfoot immortality by doing, going down and studying the film site. And as he told the reporter, he said, uh, I think this is an exact quote, he said he found positive supporting evidence of what took place, of what the story was. He said he saw Roger's tracks and he saw the horse tracks and he saw footprint tracks of, of the creature. And so everything to him as a taxidermist just added up. And if everything were fake, he would have blown blown the cover on it immediately. But he did not. And he said everything was as they said it was. I love that. I love that. If, uh, if anyone... Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go yeah. ahead. Yeah. He also talks about at, uh, up at the UBC... Uh, I don't know if it was at the UBC. It may have been at a hotel. But let's just say in Vancouver, uh, British Columbia, because the UBC is there and also the hotel was there too. He also says that he saw the films, plural, and that's emphasized mm-hmm. in the article. Mm-hmm. It says films with an S. And so that means he saw the, 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 the Patty film. He saw the subject film. And then he also saw a separate film of the tracks that was taken with a second roll of 100 exactly. meter film. Yeah, so he saw two films. And so there exists two films, one of the subject and one of the footprints that were left behind. So that was all the documentation that Roger did. And he came down and further documented by making plaster of Paris castings. I think he made about 12 of them, and I think 10 survived that are at the Willow Creek Bigfoot Museum. That's awesome. That's awesome. If anyone has a uh, question for Daniel, uh, this would be a uh, great time uh, for, uh, you can either, you can message that to me, or if you'd like to raise your hand, we can, we can live dangerously and do that as well. Um, But uh, yeah, we'll give you a few minutes. uh, If anyone has any uh, questions for Mr. Daniel Perez, who is the uh, editor of the Bigfoot Times and um, all around Bigfoot guy. He's got, I would say, you definitely have the biggest Bigfoot collection uh, that's been proven, the, right? The biggest physical files. Yes, yes, that's right. Um, I, while we see if anyone has any questions, I, I don't think I asked you this last time, but... What is the most, maybe not valuable book monetarily, but valuable to you book that you own in your collection? Which one means the most to you? 
Well, because he was a personal friend, I think uh, uh, the book that Renee DeHinden and uh, Don Hunter wrote, oh, I sure. think it's called Sasquatch. Yeah, it is, yeah. I guess it was released in 73, mm-hmm. and so my copy is personally inscribed to me by him. And uh, so that one is, it's uh, it's very valuable to me in a sentimental way. But also uh, John Green's book that was published in 78, I think it's very valuable because he breaks up everything and he, he, he looks at everything from a journalistic, scientific point of view and kind of breaks everything down and he says, this is what's happening on the East Coast, this is what's happening on the West Coast, and sure. Canada, etc. So, yeah. And in terms of monetary value, I think Roger Patterson's hardback copy of Abominable Snowman Legend Come to Life oh, has yeah. proven to be a real uh, uh, high-value book. That is really cool. That's really cool. Is there uh, one that you have looked for over the years? I don't think I asked you this either, that you've looked for over the years and it just escapes your grasp. I think it's a booklet that David Attenborough from the United Kingdom wrote. And I guess it's called Fabulous Animals Hmm. or something like that. And this was probably published shortly after the PG film came out. Uh, late 60s and uh, my understanding is uh david attenborough sir david At- attenborough has mm-hmm. a very open mind to it but uh i i know about it but i don't do not have that in my collection i would love to get it that's awesome yeah so if any any listeners have that you know just uh hit up uh daniel perez on facebook and and make Make his dreams come true for sure. Um, Tate, uh, I have got you up here. Any uh, any words, Tate, or uh, or uh, questions for for Daniel at all? No, I was just gonna say. Um, yeah, I remember the last time I saw Daniel in 2018 at the film site. We uh, we ended up making an impression in the substrate with a copy of the Passing Inland Trackway. That's on film. I think Jeffrey Thomas took a video of that. Um, which is pretty cool. So, yeah, and uh, Daniel's a good guy, and it's good to have him in the book. And I got to help with a little bit of the book too. So, um, it's gonna be an awesome book, and definitely uh, keep up with Daniel's Bigfoot Times and go subscribe to that newsletter. Oh, for sure, for sure, uh, Daniel. Before we start to uh, wind, uh, wind down the interview, do you have uh, any? Uh, any things that you wanted to um, to cover that we didn't uh, cover or, or closing thoughts or anything of that nature? Well, the, clo- the closing thought is that until that film is developed, that mm. our experimental film with uh, experimenting with three different types of lenses, uh, the question on the subject's height is open. Uh. So we don't, we don't, we would like to know the exact height, but we don't know exactly yet and one thing that i could add which it seems kind of stupid but i'll point it out anyway if you were to say two plus two equals five that would be wrong right that would be wrong but at the same time you would be close 
So with experimenting with the lenses, we don't want to be close. We want to hit it. We we don't want to be close because two plus two is almost five, but right. not quite. We want to be dead on. So that's the reason why we're doing experimentation because we don't want to be close. We want to we want to be dead on. That's true. Yeah, definitely put in the extra effort to get that a hundred percent accurate data. That is awesome. Well, Daniel, it's always a, a pleasure to chat with you. Uh, we've had a few chats now. Uh, if you could re- remind the listeners of the you know, podcast and YouTube, uh, what are the best ways to keep up to date with uh, what you're doing and also about how to subscribe to the Bigfoot Times again? Uh, that would be awesome. Bigfoot Times, simply go to bigfoottimes.net, and the newsletter is approaching 25 years of uh, run time, and uh, I don't think anyone has ever done that, so I'm just delighted that uh, we are approaching that uh, milestone. Fantastic. And if you want to hear more of me chatting with uh, Daniel, uh, there is an episode a few back on the Bigfoot Society podcast where we go more into detail about uh, different things to do with uh, the Patterson-Gimlin film site. But thank you so much for uh, hanging out with us tonight, Daniel, and uh, hopefully we will chat again in the future. I'm sure we will, and it's been a delight talking with you once again. All right. Have a good one. Uh, Rome, I'm going to go ahead and uh, close things out. Tate, so much. Uh, Tate, thank you so much for saving the day, literally. And uh, uh, you're a good dude, so I appreciate you. And um, if you are new to this room, make sure that you hit the Cryptozoology Club up at the top and join the club so that you don't miss out on any uh, future rooms. Uh, Craig from all dot the dot weird will be uh, doing some great Halloween cryptid themed spooky rooms on Thursday nights, so you won't want to miss those. But thanks again uh, all for hanging out tonight, and have a great rest of your night. Later, everybody. Later. Thanks for taking your time out of your busy day and spending some time with us. Uh, go ahead and. Uh, subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Leave a review on iTunes, uh, Stitcher, and uh, your preferred podcast platform. And um, if you have any stories, you can give us an email at bigfootsociety@gmail.com. And again, check out the articles we have and more. Preferred book lists at bigfootsocietypodcast.com. You can always go to Instagram at Bigfoot Society, and we have a TikTok now. It gets pretty crazy there. Bigfoot bigfoot.society at bigfoot.society thanks again for taking your time listening to the bigfoot society podcast we'll see you next week uh next saturday will be a new episode and also if you want to take part in the live taping of the episode and put your questions in there for the guest just remember subscribe to the bigfoot society youtube channel and hit the bell so you don't miss out on any of those episodes thanks again all and we'll see you next time The views and opinions expressed are those of the guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Bigfoot Society. Any content provided by our guests are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone. Thank you.